Chapter One of The Broken Rosary by Grace and Harold Johnson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Therese. The Broken Rosary by Grace and Harold Johnson. One. It was first Friday, September, and hot. Labor Day was past. The schools of Merton, Ohio, were again in session, and life in the city of 135,000 inhabitants had settled down to its everyday routine after the summer. At 8.15 p.m. the courthouse bell sounded the quarter hour. In days to come a number of people would measure past actions in reference to this particular time. But to Dan O'Hara, seated opposite Mary Altman, in the richly panelled, softly lighted dining room of the Harbour Hotel, the sound meant nothing. He was busy appraising her good looks, with abstract yet keen appreciation, seeing again the appealing blue-gray eyes and the quick smiles and gestures with which she invariably responded to his talk. Mary's delicately molded face had a slightly humorous earnestness about it that faded into a look of boyish daring when she smiled. Dan liked the way the light played on her firm, round cheeks and glinted on her short-cut black hair, invitingly exposed under a half-hat of aquavellers. Dan sat back in his chair, fingertips on the edge of the table. Don't look now, Mary, but our boss is just coming in. Mary watched Dan nod and smile to someone on the other side of the room. Is he alone? Mary asked. No, Mrs. Falls and Dr. and Mrs. Fitzgerald are with him. Now there's a real Joe. It's Mr. Falls editing that makes a dispatch of bang-up newspaper. He's a fine man, Mary replied but he certainly can be stuffy at times. Dan's eyes showed surprise. Meaning what? Mary hesitated as if wondering whether to continue. Well, like this afternoon when I asked him again for Ned Gormley's place on general assignment. What did he say? A flush appeared on Mary's cheeks. Do you want it word for word or tersely? Tersely, it was no. Dan laughed the tiny wrinkles around his mouth and nose making his freckles appear more prominently. I love a word-for-word -word account. It was really something, quite a speech, and long, too, for him. I'd like nothing better than to hear you repeat it. Dan grinned in anticipation of Fall's reply. The flush on Mary's cheeks dwindled to two small red spots. It was like this. When I asked him, he leaned so far across his big desk that I thought his red hair would burn a hole in me. Then he stuck out two fingers like a tuning fork, the way he always does for emphasis, before he told me that if I quit writing society, I'd be a female bum in five years, cynical, coarse, and flippant. Furthermore, he sure knows his onions, Dan cut in. Mary gave a frown of disgust at his approval and went on. I'll quote, if I gave you Ned's place on news, you'd hear and see things too rotten to print. If you're as sensitive as I hope you are, it would nauseate you. It might even drive you to drink. Look at Ned. Drunk so much of the time I've had to fire him. Now you get right back to your desk and think up some pretty adjectives for the society pages. End of quote. There was silence while Dan stirred his coffee. Falls is a very sensible man. Now the thing for you to do is to forget the paper altogether and put some time on hope chest thinking. Mary laughed softly, and with a slight lift of her shoulder, turned the implication aside. 
Dan sighed and took a drink of coffee. It sure must have been swell to live a hundred years ago, when women were not so complicated. Meaning what? Mary countered. Dan looked at her with good-natured cynicism. Look at it squarely. All they did was learn to sing a little, read a little, embroider a little, and know how to grab their man at the tiniest tent. Mary laughed. It was sure tough on the women. It must have been frightfully dull. I wouldn't know about that. Shall I ask the waitress for more coffee? She's got her eye on our table. No, thanks, Dan. The meal was superb, but I couldn't squeeze in another teaspoonful. When they stood up to leave, many eyes turned in their direction, showing approval of what they saw. Dan, blonde, crew-cut, built like a six-foot-two tackle, was half a head taller than Mary. As they walked out of the dining room, Mr. Falls nodded in their direction and said in a low voice, There go two of my reporters. Too bad about the young man's limp, Dr. Fitzgerald said. How'd he get it? He stopped a bullet while fighting in Korea, Mr. Falls replied. His name's O'Hara, and he's a worker, believe me. Marquette man, graduated a year ago last June, journalism major. Mrs. Fitzgerald looked from Dan to Mr. Falls. He looks so young to have fought in Korea. Falls nodded. I know. He enlisted in the Marines immediately after graduation from high school. He was only in Korea about two months when he was wounded and sent home. He's got quite a case on Mary Altman, and I can't say I blame him. She's a wonderful girl, a graduate of St. Mary's of the Woods College just last June. Mrs. Fitzgerald smiled. She's lovely, and so young. He's about two years older. His delay in entering college enabled her to nearly catch up with him. She's been writing society news and doing a fine job of it. As Dan and Mary walked through the hotel lobby, Dan asked, Want to take in a movie, or shall we drive over to Blairsville and see your brother? A smile formed on Mary's lips. Let's drive. It's a nice evening. Okay. When they got to the corner of Main and Forest Streets, a newsboy called to Dan. Something's the matter over at the Merchant's Bank, Mr. O'Hara. A bunch of cops just went in. Dan flipped his hand toward the boy. Thanks, Shorty. You're my pal. He took Mary by the elbow and quickened his pace. Let's take a look. Probably just a couple of guys in an argument, but you never can tell. Mary smiled eagerly. Let's go. Dan put his shoulder and elbows to the crowd, which had gathered in the doorway of the Merchant's Bank. Inside the door they were stopped by Officer Toller. She with you, O'Hara? Toller asked, jabbing his forefinger at Mary. Sure thing, Dan grinned. She writes the stuff Mrs. Toller reads in the dispatch. Society news. Toller nodded. Oh, yeah, sure. Mary Altman, meet Officer Toller. What's all the excitement? Prosecutor Brighton either committed suicide or was murdered. Wow, where? In his law office on the fourth floor. Who's up there? Wilkes. How long ago did it happen? The call came in about five minutes ago. Who reported it? Listen, Dan, you'll have to get your stuff from Wilkes. He's giving out the dope, and you know how sore he'd be if I spoke out of turn. Dan looked at Mary. Do you think you want to go up there? It might be kind of gory. Mary's eyes were steady under his gaze, but her voice quavered slightly. I can take it. Dan gave her a meager smile. Okay, then, let's go. You can be the little pitcher with the big ears. 
Dan walked over to one of the bronze doors leading to the elevator cars and pressed a button. He stepped back to wait. The pink marble walls were a familiar sight, as was the cigar stand which one arm Joe Fisher owned. The stand was just inside the street door. At the far end of the lobby was a stairway, and opposite the bottom stair was a large, heavy glass door leading into Baxter's drugstore. "'You'll have to climb, Dan,' Taller said. "'Wilkes stopped the elevators. Nobody goes in, nobody goes out. Everybody just stays put.' Dan took Mary's arm. "'Up we go, then, Mary.' Patrolman Walters, stationed at the far end of the lobby, guarding the doorway into Baxter's, nodded to them. "'Hi, Dan.' "'Hi, Walters. Hot, isn't it?' "'Yep, but not too bad in here. The draft makes a nice breeze.' Mary started up the stairs, flushed with nervous excitement. This was just like being on general assignment, even though Dan was really covering it. Maybe she would see something that would be a clue, and she could tell the police. Then Mr. Falls would see what a good gal she'd be on a newsbeat. But that was movie stuff. Still, it could happen. At the landing between the third and fourth floors, Dan stopped. Not so fast, Mary. There's no rush. They'll still be there when we arrive. I'm no mountain climber with this bum knee. I'd make a better babysitter. Mary's lips twitched in a shadowy smile. Well, you just might get around to that, too, Mr. O'Hara. Dan regarded her with fond eyes. Now you're talking, Mary, getting some sense. Think more on that subject. Mary made a face at him. I didn't know Mr. Brighton had an office in this building. I thought it was in the courthouse. Dan put a shoulder point against the wall and lighted a cigarette. It is, but six years ago, before he was elected prosecutor, he was in partnership with Dave Morledge. They had an office on the fourth floor here. Morledge died two years ago, but Brighton still keeps the office, uses it for private business. Law? Could be. Mary looked surprised. What business, if not law? All kinds. Rumor has it he's into a lot of things that people would like to know about. Say, Mary, when we get to the office, don't go barging in. It may not be a pretty sight. Mary looked at him with pursed lips. I told you I can take it. Dan sensed her excitement and smiled. Ever seen a man that's been killed, bloody and all? Certainly. She paused. In the movies. Dan looked at her tenderly. But, honey, this isn't the movie. This will be the real thing, without any clean-up. You better stay outside while I go in to see what's up. Uh-uh, Mary shook her head vehemently. I asked Mr. Falls to put me on general assignment. This will prove I can do it. Dan shrugged his shoulders. Okay, pal, you asked for it. By the way, why don't you do a feature, something like, How it feels to cover my first murder. Mary wrinkled her nose. Corn, it wouldn't make much of a story. And anyway, we don't even know if it's murder. True enough. Well, let's wait and see. Mary looked questioningly at Dan. Do murders affect you after being in the war and all? He hesitated a moment. War is different, Mary. Everything around you is all shot to pieces. You're so scared and tired yourself that you don't think much about the dead. They're just part of the picture. But it's different when you walk into a nice clean room and see a dirty job lying on the floor. It hits you hard, I know. I've seen four or five this past year. I still think you ought to wait outside. No. Again Dan shrugged his shoulders. 
Okay, then. Mary took a step forward. Hadn't we better get up there? The show will keep. I like it this way, just you and me. Come on, let's get going. Mary started up the next flight of stairs. Dan pushed open the fire door at the landing of the fourth floor and let Mary step past him into the corridor. Two uniformed policemen stood before an open door at the end of the hall. As Mary and Dan moved along, their heels clacked with a hollow sound on the terrazzo floor. When they passed the door marked Women, Dan reached out and turned the knob and pushed the door slightly open. Hey, Mary cried. Dan grinned and pulled the door shut. Just wanted to make sure it wasn't locked. Mary shot him a sharp look. I don't catch. You will. Mary smiled to herself. She knew what he meant. He was trying to frighten her. Dan was just like Mr. Falls. He didn't want her to leave the society department for general news. Dan didn't realize how tiresome and boring society writing could be. The table was decorated artistically. The bride wore her grandmother's wedding gown. The Wartons entertained sixty at the country club. She could write the stuff in her sleep. But this now was news. This was life. It could even be fun if it didn't mean a lot of sadness for some people. She thought quickly of Mr. Brighton's family and friends. Well, if she were going to be handling a general news beat, she couldn't allow herself to get sentimental. She'd just have to learn to be casual about such things. Hi, Pete. Hi, Nolan. This is Mary Altman, Dan said when they reached the open door and the two funereal-faced policemen on duty. She's from the dispatch, too. The men nodded. Dan stepped ahead of Mary into the reception room, blocking her view momentarily. Then he stepped aside, and she came up beside him. Harvey Wilkes, chief of detectives, stood in the doorway to an inner office, apparently deep in his own thoughts, while he watched the pictures being taken and fingerprints lifted. If he was aware of their presence, he did not show it. Wilkes, middle-aged, medium-height, spare of build, with pale brown eyes and a neatly clipped mustache, stood motionless. Dan knew he would remain preoccupied until he was able to remember, compare, and organize every detail of what he had seen and heard up to this point. Wilkes worked that way, cautiously, slowly, pensively. Lieutenant Davis of the Detective Bureau stood beside Wilkes. He was a big, heavy-set man. The heat was making him sweat profusely. Even in plain clothes he looked like a policeman. The easy yet alert way he carried himself, the manner in which his eyes darted around the room, taking in everything, the bulky shoulders in his coat, made that way to accommodate a shoulder holster. A look of annoyance started to creep into Davis's eyes when he saw Mary and Dan. However, discipline took over, and he gave him a curt nod, forcing a half-smile as he left the room. After what seemed to Mary to be a very long time, Chief Wilkes stepped forward. His face set in the cynical expression of one who has viewed much of life and didn't expect any good from it. Knowing Mary, Wilkes nodded to both of them. Wally? Dan questioned. Wilkes half-turned and threw his head back, indicating the inner office. Yes, he's in there. How long ago did it happen? Less than a half hour, we think. Anyone call a priest? Brighton was a Catholic, you know. I never thought of it, Wilkes said. Offense Father Scully at St. Joseph's. It's the nearest. Thanks, O'Hara. Dan made the phone call and returned to where Wilkes was standing. What's the dope? Wilkes thrust a thin, bony, sandily freckled wrist from his coat sleeve and looked at his watch. 
Joe Fisher says Wally and his brother, Sam, passed the newsstand in the foyer about five to eight. They took the elevator up. Joe remembers hearing the courthouse bell ring right afterward. Sam came down in about ten or fifteen minutes, so it was after that. I put it any time after eight ten. Who found the body? Rance Adams. He called headquarters at eight twenty-three. Dan looked questioningly at Wilkes, who slowly took off his silver rimmed spectacles, cleaned them, and put them on again. So you'd say Brighton was murdered sometime between eight ten and eight twenty-three. Wilkes shook his head. I didn't say he'd been murdered. Looks more like suicide to me. O'Hara's eyes raised quizzically. How'd Adam happen to find him? Wilkes made a ripe, puckish face. Said he had an appointment. The Brighton called him this morning and asked if he could drop in a few minutes this evening and see him. Adams is downstairs in his own office now. I'm not through questioning him yet. Then you're not sure it was suicide? Dan asked. Wilkes dropped his head slightly, his high forehead arched with even corrugations, and his eyes twisted upward to look over his glasses. No one's ever sure in a case like this. It looks like suicide, but he could have been murdered. Can't rule that out this early. According to what I've heard, there are plenty who would like to have done this. I'm having a paraffin test made of Wally's hand. That might give us the answer, though I don't expect much from it. Dan nodded. How was he killed? Shot in the temple, at close range, by a thirty-two caliber cold automatic. Dan nodded again. Mary marveled at the callous approach of the two men. But she thought, when you've been in on this sort of a thing a number of times, it probably gets to be routine. Mary twitched the sleeve of Dan's coat. What's a paraffin test? It's a test for powder nitrates. When you shoot a revolver, there's a certain amount of flashback through the cylinders, at least some powder nitrates on the hand that pulls the trigger. Paraffin is put on the hand and lifted off. If there's powder there, you've just shot a revolver. That's simple enough, Mary said. Sometimes it's called a cordite test. Chances are that nothing will show in this case because an automatic pistol is used, and it has no cylinder for a flashback to come through. Dan walked lightly across the carpeted floor toward the inner office. Mary followed immediately, because she knew if she waited to think about what she was going to see, she wouldn't be able to make her legs move. Through the open doorway, Dan could see the body of Waldy Brighton on the floor beside a large flat-topped desk, on which lay a scattering of papers. The body was curled up on its side, knees pulled up. One arm was flung outward toward an automatic pistol at the tips of the partially outstretched fingers. Brighton's other hand clutched the silver crucifix of a black rosary, while a broken piece lay on the floor. An unsmoked cigarette and a cigarette lighter had fallen under the desk. When Dan stepped closer, he could see powder burns around the bullet hole in the temple. He also noticed what remained of a torn sheet on the desk memorandum pad. What he saw was... Others. Next line. A.M.S. Mary followed Dan into the room and stepped to one side to look around his broad back. For a moment, horror, fascination, and disbelief held her frozen. At first it looked as if Brighton might be sleeping, until she noticed the gaping mouth and staring eyes. The curly black hair was matted with blood, and a brown stain had formed on the light green carpet. Mary shivered. Something seemed to hit her hard in the midriff, and her hand flew to her mouth. For a moment she had a feeling of faintness. Dan looked at her and caught the quick expression, startled, almost pleading, in her eyes. 
He put his arm around her waist and let her out. Then he pointed to the doorway down the corridor. Mary ran. Dan put his lighter to a cigarette. A slight grin appeared on Officer Nolan's face. First time? Dan nodded. It's tough for me every time, Nolan said. Dan remained at the outer door. He had just finished his cigarette when Mary returned. He looked at her with concern. She smiled weakly and gave an exasperated little gasp of forced laughter. I didn't do so well, did I? You did okay, Mary. They seated themselves on visitors' chairs in the reception room and watched Wilkes go to Brighton's desk and search through the drawers. Dan felt he wouldn't have much success, as Wally Brighton would have been too smart to leave any damaging papers around. A few minutes later, Davis came in and handed Wilkes a sheet of paper. Here's Sergeant Jones' list of everyone who's been in the building since eight o'clock, as well as he could find out from the elevator man, the janitor, and Fisher at the newsstand. There's fourteen names. Wilkes studied the list. We can temporarily eliminate seven of these. Let Jones question them. Which seven? Davis asked. Wilkes continued to study the list. Fisher, he's got a job at his own newsstand and has probably been working at it all the time. Same goes for the two scrubwomen, as well as the janitor and the two elevator men, and Wally Brighton's brother, Sam. That leaves Anderson and his secretary on this floor, Vance Adams, who found the body, Art Short, Doc Larkins, Tipaloo, and Mrs. Brighton. The names of Tipaloo and Mrs. Brighton were the only two who could be directly linked with Brighton in Wilkes' mind. What had Mrs. Brighton been doing here? And Happy Tipaloo. He knew Tipaloo dropped in to see Wally occasionally. He didn't know what their relations were, but he figured it wasn't about the numbers racket. Happy was Mr. Bug and Merton, and he didn't invite any outside interests. Could Wally have been Tipaloo's silent partner? Wilkes wet his upper lip with the tip of his tongue. He was on the verge of mentioning his suspicion to Davis, and then decided against it. He must keep an open mind. He had to be careful. Wilkes gave Davis the straight, sharp look of one who had made his judgment, but wasn't ready to express it. Put the word out to pick up Tipaloo. Yes, sir. And then we better question the other five here in the building. Davis nodded. If it's murder, it could be any one of them. But I put my money on Tipolo. Wilkes weighed the answer and accepted it without comment. Davis always made things simple. He always jumped at the obvious. There must be others in town who belonged on that list. Davis reached for the desk phone. It was the first move toward picking up Happy Tipolo. After he had cradled the phone, Davis walked over to Dan and Mary. You two spending the night here? Hardly, Mary replied. Dan grinned. Just waiting for you guys to come up with the answers. We've got a story to write. Davis grunted. Looks like you'll wait a while. You notified his brother Sam yet? We're looking for him. He told me late this afternoon that he was going to the palace tonight to get out of the heat. Davis raised his eyebrows. Yeah? He walked over to the doorway. Nolan, Sam Brighton's over at the palace. Go get him. End of chapter 1